that you're here uh, to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, we are in the, the middle of a series uh, called Our Life in Focus, and the idea of this series is to talk about vision. And vision is something that really is our mental picture of how we think things should be in life. Uh, maybe, maybe that's where we end up in life, kind of our goals in life, but vision is kind of this picture that we all have of, of what life should, should look like. And last week, uh, we kicked off this series talking about how it's really crucial with vision to adopt God's vision for our life. And as Christ followers and here at Church in the Valley, our goal is that everyone will see the clear picture of God's vision for each of our lives and then choose day by day to to adopt that. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus where you make the choice that I really don't want to go my own way anymore. And I really do want to go God's way. And as you begin to make that choice and as you decide to follow Christ and you kind of stick your your stakes in the ground saying like his vision can become my vision. Then what you find over time is is the pictures that you have in your life, whether that's from your upbringing and your experiences or from others that you've seen or even from the culture in which we live. uh, Those things begin to change as we get to know Jesus more. And here at Church in the Valley, our, our goal is for all of us to be getting to know the picture that Jesus has for each area of our life. And last week we talked about the big vision, and that is to know Christ and to make him known. The idea is that we actually, to learn about vision and to get the right picture about life, we actually need to know what that picture is. And the only way we can really understand that picture is not just what somebody tells you, but something that you actually learn and experience for yourself. And as you gain that picture to know Christ and as you get to know him, you actually want to tell others about him as well. Because as you know him, it's this thing that you experience for the first time where you get a clearer picture than you've ever had. And the vision becomes something real. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be shifting gears and talking about how God's vision for our life is actually specific in areas of life that matter to us dearly. And today we're talking about the area of finances and money. And I don't know about you, but money and finances impact me almost daily uh, as I make decisions about what I do with my money or as I look back on what I've done with my money in the past. And as I look to the future, there's always parts of my life where it's either looking back in the present or in the future where finances and, and money play a role. And each of us have a money vision. That is how we think money should look in our life, what our finances should look like. And each of us have been trained to kind of have that own picture. And it could be something that your parents taught you. It could be something that your grandparents taught you, your friends taught you, your school taught you, your experience taught you. I grew up, this is just like get to know Alex time. I grew up in a military home where our finances were very tight. The military takes care of you, but we didn't really have a lot of just extra money to throw around. And eating out when I grew up was like a it was, it was like a gift and you had it at that moment, but you never knew when it would come again. And really my vision for money was just like my parents' vision, which is being frugal is the number one goal. Some would call that being cheap, but that's true. The cheapest it is, is the, the best goal in life. And I remember at an early age, we'd go to McDonald's and you guys remember when they had like the two ninety nine combos, like every combo was two ninety nine. But then they started shifting where like they started upping the price a little bit and it was like maybe three twenty nine. And to this day, I still have a hard time if there's like a combo that I don't really want, but it's cheaper than one that I do. 
I'll usually go with the one that I don't want. And that makes complete sense to me. It's based on my vision because being frugal is the number one goal. And that's kind of what I grew up with. And so I, I've realized in my life that's kind of impacted a lot of my own views of money. Being frugal is very important. Being frugal is not bad. But what you find is, is that it actually does impact what you do with your money. And you may have grown up and it was the opposite where there was no limit to what your parents allowed you to buy. And you may feel sorry for me right now because I never got to experience the Big Mac combo. It was only the two cheeseburgers. But don't feel bad. But your vision is probably different than mine, but we all have this clear picture. And with money, what you find is it's actually something that isn't just compartmental. Um, just like life, as we make choices in our finances and with the things that we've been given, which we call like our resources, it trickles into all the other areas. Haven't you found that? Like you can't really just keep money in its own compartment. It impacts your life. Have you ever had a fight with somebody about money? How could that be? Well, because money impacts relationships. If you want money and somebody could give it to you and they choose not to, there can be conflict. Or if somebody wants money from you and you choose not to give it to them, it can create conflict. And it can create conflict in work as it relates to money. And so you find that this area impacts all sorts of kind of pieces of our life and our emotions, our relationships, our conflict, all this. And so we're going to be talking today about how to actually get the right vision for our money. Before that, though, I want to show you a clip. Okay, this is a a funny look, but it's a very real look at somebody who has a vision for their money. So as you watch this, I want you to think, what is this person's vision for their money? Let's watch it together. My husband tries to stop me from spending. It's very annoying. This is my frozen assets. We have a credit card, but try not to abuse it. I freeze the credit card so that it's not easily accessible. And what I'm doing is thawing out the ice. And it's a lot of effort, so in order for my wife to use it, she has to put some labor into it. These are my paper towels that have been used and reused and reused and reused and are still quite functional, as you see. They save about $100 a year in paper towels alone. Coffee is very expensive, so instead of using it freely, I kind of reuse it. This one's gotten three or four cups out of it already, but I'm still not done with it yet. I have one more final use for it. Window cleaner costs probably around $3 a spray bottle. Well, I don't purchase it. I make my own out of the coffee ground. I shake it up. Although it appears to be dirty, you will see how clean it can get a window. I'm saving an additional $3 every month or so, which adds up to maybe $40, $50 a year. Clear as daylight. That's completely real. Because it has TLC in the corner. That is completely real. Okay. But it's, it's humorous somewhat. But does that make sense to him? Yeah, it does. It makes complete sense. 
Does he have a vision for his money? Yeah. What it doesn't get into is, is why. What is causing him to make those choices? Is it impacting his life? Yeah, it starts in the beginning with the wife and him. It's annoying. Now, they, they live together in the same house. So to the degree that it's annoying, I'm not sure. But there's some conflict there. And it's easy to kind of take that. That's an extreme example. I think we could all agree it's extreme. However, we too have vision for our money. It may not be like worth saving $50 a month or a year on, depending on what it is, but we we do have a vision for it. We have a picture of where we think it should go, how much we should have, where we should be at the end of our life in regards to our retirement, all sorts of things. And each of us have that picture. So the question for all of us is what is our own money vision? Like, what's the picture that we have? You know, in, in maybe five years or 15 years or 25 years, where do we want to end up? Like, what, what do we hope is true about our situation with our finances, with our resources? You may not know it, but you actually are operating out of a vision. And so am I. And the truth is, is that God actually knows that. And as you get to know God again and again in the scriptures, his word to us that guides us and gives us instruction and gives us the truth. It actually is telling us and showing us what. God's vision for our resources and what our money is. And so we're going to take some time and look at a situation, two different situations in time where people basically had their vision of what their money should look like and where it should go and were challenged to think differently. And the goal for all of us, myself included, is how can we take these truths that were applied to a group of people a couple thousand years ago and actually apply it to our life today. And I, I think the principles actually are, are the same. And so we're going to look at the book of Second uh, Corinthians. And in this book, and I've set this up before, but most of the New Testament is written by a man named Paul. And Paul started churches and he helped people come to know Christ. And his goal was to spread Christianity but not at the cost of people not knowing what it meant to follow Christ. He wanted to spread Christianity and people know exactly what it meant to follow Christ. He wanted people to really be disciples of Jesus, his followers, people that as they looked at them, they'd recognize, OK, that's somebody who belongs to Jesus. And that means they'd have certain attitudes, they'd have certain actions. And so in his writings, a lot of what he dealt with was how do I help people with this big area of life? In the area of finances. And when you dig in the scriptures, you find that money is taught a lot. Jesus taught a lot about money. The other writers of the New Testament taught a lot about money. So the question is, why? Well, if you've had experiences with money, you know that, again, it impacts a lot of areas. And there's certain factors tied to what we do with our money that that leads to things in life. And so Paul is writing to this, this group of new Christians And they're being persecuted for their faith. They decided to follow Jesus. And in the midst of their culture, they had Romans that were against them. They had Jews that didn't quite understand why they'd follow this Jesus who claimed to be a Messiah. But in their minds, for most of them, he wasn't. 
And so they had persecution basically on, on all sides. Some people lost their family and they lost their jobs and they were heavily persecuted. And so people began to, to, to flee. And then at the same time, in this situation in time, there was a, a famine in the land. With it just, there wasn't enough food and resources to go around. So as you can imagine, people have decided to follow Christ. And in the midst of losing some people close to them, in the midst of maybe losing status that they had because they've decided to follow Jesus, they actually lose part of their livelihood. Like the money that they had is gone because of this famine. The food that they had is gone. And so you can imagine this is a high stress time. And in the midst of high stress, a lot of times we have certain views of our money where we just we try to grab a hold of it because we're, we're, we're afraid, we're fearful. And certainly I've experienced fear in life and the unknown. And as I think about my finances, the first thing I do is, well, how is that going to work out? What's going to happen? How am I going to survive? How's this going to look? And you can begin to run all the scenarios and all the questions. I can do this a lot. And so all these people were really experiencing this. And Paul, instead of just comforting them, said, it's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. He actually gives them some specific instruction on what to do. And what had happened is the church, this church of Corinthians, had seen all the needs before the famine hit and thought, you know, we can help. However we can, we can help. And so they said with their words as a church, we will help meet the needs of people. Well, then the famine got worse and worse and there was no money that could be seen. So the church had said a lot, but they hadn't really backed it up with their actions. And so Paul, knowing that these people are new to following Christ and their babies in relationship to following Jesus, they needed, they needed some fatherly love. And they needed to kind of get this picture of how your words and actions need to meet up. And so all this is happening, the famine, the persecution, and this promise that they had made, we are going to give. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we find this, this analogy that Paul uses to instruct this group of new Christians. And he talks really in, in terms of farming. And it's really like the law of the, the harvest. And he's basically explained to them that the measure of generosity that you use in life determines the harvest that God allows you to experience. And he goes on to describe that. And so he's saying, I know all of you are stressed out. I know you've experienced great loss because of you deciding to follow Jesus. And I know that you're in the midst of this famine and you're not even sure how all your, your needs are going to be met. And I know that you've heard of all these needs of your other brothers and sisters in Christ, people that have decided to follow Jesus as well, and, and they are worse off than you. And so Paul knows all of this, but in the midst of this, he wants them to know in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, that there's some things that God is doing to help train them. This, this is what he says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So again, he's using far, farming, which makes sense to most of those people in that time. As they were walking around, there, there weren't cars they'd walk. And they'd be by fields and they'd see farmers that were planting seeds. And then maybe later in the season, they'd see those same farmers that are pulling up the seeds and they're connecting the dots. OK, the amount that they planted is directly tied to the amount that they collect. And what Paul's saying is the same is true. In relationship to how generous you are with the things that you have been given. And there's something that happens and he's kind of relating this to them, but it's true of us. 
that we can tend to forget the law of the harvest. In farming, it makes sense, but it's also true in life. We can forget this law of harvest. And what Paul is trying to say is, if you are stingy, you cannot reap generosity. And if you are greedy, you cannot reap blessing. The seeds that you plant grow up and they become the plant that you planted. Farming, that makes sense. But in life, there's a disconnect a lot, even true in money. And so all these things that are going on in them, he just wants to know the bottom line. I know you're new to following Christ and I know all this stuff is is upon you and it's stressing you out. And you can't see how this vision would even make sense because of all that you're experiencing. But the truth is still the same. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. So what he's basically commanding them to do and urging them is you have to trust God that that is true. And that's what faith is. Not knowing that if I plant generous and I don't now have these anymore, they're planted in the ground, I can't hold them. I now have let them go. What's going to happen? What Paul's saying is if you're generous and you actually let go of what you have been given and you're a generous, God multiplies that. God takes care of you. And that's what faith is. Not knowing that he will take care of you, but trusting that he will. Because it's not faith if you know. Now, over time through experience, you see that he's come through. And so as you take a step of faith, you realize like, this isn't a leap of faith in which I'm in the fog of the unknown, but it's, it's faith based on my experience. And so Paul is urging them, you have to experience this for the first time. So bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And then he goes on and he wants them to get this picture. that This isn't just a like blessing idea. Just, well, if you want to be blessed, you need to give. And if you give, you'll be blessed. But you want it to be actually specific, not just to an idea. And so he actually talks about their attitude. And this is where your vision can become a little bit more clear. So he's just saying the law of the harvest is true. What you sow, you will reap. And then the next verse, he actually talks about what God pays attention to. And God actually pays attention to the attitude that I choose in relationship to my money. I just want you to think to yourself, what are common attitudes that you have in regards to your own money? Just think in your head, what are some attitudes that you have? Anyone have one? Got at least one? We all do, right? I would ask you to share, but then it'd be awkward and you'd have... Well, my friend said he has this attitude. But some of the attitudes is, is just fear and worry. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Fear and worry are, are common attitudes that, that we experience. Uh, sometimes just it's hard to let go. We, we can be stingy. That's an attitude. We can just be stingy. There's another need. Another need? 
Cannot people take care of themselves? That's an attitude you have. Certain idea. With our money, all these kind of questions. How's this going to work? If I'm generous, then who's going to take care of me? So all these, these questions. But what Paul's saying is you have to deal with the attitude. You have to deal with your view of this and the things that you think. What goes on in your mind. Because all of that impacts what you do. And then he goes on further in 2 Corinthians 9.7. And he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're reading this, you, you, you see this like extreme reality he's, he's painting. He's saying the law of the harvest is true and it is real. It impacts life. What you sow, you will reap. And then he goes on. But if you're just giving because you feel bad. Don't. And what he's hitting to is oftentimes we we can feel guilty. We can feel guilty about things in life that we know we should do. But have you ever started something and it's been based on guilt? Has it lasted? Really? In my own life, when I've been guilted into doing something, I'll do it for a little while. And then when the guilt wears off, guess what? I'm not going to do it. I just am not because I don't want to. You ever thought about that? If people aren't doing something, do you know why? They don't want to do it. And you're thinking, I came to church to find that out. But if you think about that, that's so true. Because some of the times you ask yourself things like, why did they do that? You ask that a lot. Or why did I do that? And you did it because you wanted to. And the opposite is true. Why didn't he do that? Or why didn't she do that? Or why didn't they do that? They didn't want to. And what Paul's saying is you actually have to get to the point where you want to be a generous person. No one can force you to be generous because is that generous? Forced generosity? I don't think that works. That's the opposite of what a generous person is. And so Paul's saying this law of the harvest is true. And there are needs that we all know that are real. And there are people that are in dire need and they need people that will come alongside them and be generous. But for this to be real and lasting in your life, for this vision to be your vision and not my vision, for this to take ownership in your own life that leads to action that is lasting, this has to be yours. You actually have to do this in a cheerful way. God loves a cheerful way giver not reluctantly and so paul he's 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 loving them in a way by allowing them to see bigger than what makes sense to them and that's what god does a lot over time he gives us a vision for his kingdom what he's about what he stands for and as you've gotten to know god if you are a christ follower there's points in your life where you see a vision and honestly it's so bigger than you've ever thought that it can be overwhelming. 
And you can be at the point where you think there's no way that could be true of my life because I've not lived that way before. And I've not experienced that before. But again, that's what faith is. As you decide to follow God, the vision that he has for you, no matter how big or even sometimes it doesn't make sense, as you follow him, it actually begins to change within you and his vision becomes yours. And you change. That's the hope of following Christ. You change. Right? That's the hope. And so Paul's reminding them the law of the harvest is real and the attitude is crucial. Jesus also talked about this as well. And as he was talking to religious leaders at the time and people that knew kind of the law and everyone was good at playing the game of looking spiritual and looking like they were a good person. And so it was the opposite of this attitude. They didn't really care about the attitude. They just cared about the action. And they wanted people to watch them so they were okay. And so there was so much giving at this time. This is before uh, Paul's writings. This is actually Jesus talking. I just want to give a little example. Because it's not only the attitude that's crucial as we think about being generous and the vision that God has for us. But it's also the amount that I give in proportion to the whole. That's actually what God is looking at. Proportional giving. How generous we are. And he uses this example of a widow in Luke 21. Because there were these religious leaders and people that were considered good and like model citizens... And they would, in this kind of open air, would people drop their money? It was kind of this thing where they would want everyone to see it. Now, we don't really have that here. We have offerings that passed around. But if you could imagine with me, there would be this, this, this little bucket attached to the wall. And in the bucket, that's where people would place their money. It didn't come to you. You went to them. And what that meant is there's actually a part for you to walk the, the money catwalk, if you will. This isn't in Luke 21. I'm just making this up. Okay. But the idea is it became a spectacle in the place of worship. So you'd have these people with lots of money that as they're walking, you know, you could just imagine them like fanning. Or just they have the coins and they're just kind of. Just, you know, play along with me a little bit. All right. They're just letting it just playing a little bit. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, it's more than one coin. Oh, I dropped that. Excuse me. Let me pick that up. Did anyone, this is what I dropped. Everyone see it? You see it. And they would go and they would just like, just drop it. Not like quietly, but. Oh, that was mine. That was my money. Hi. That's what was going on at the time. So could you, you could imagine Jesus thinking, oh no. These people have a vision. And the vision is give and let everyone know how much. And the better you appear, that that was really what you wanted to do. And so he, he just was so concerned, you could imagine. Because that's the opposite of what we're talking about. Because it's really in the heart. And Jesus uses this, this, this story in Luke 21. He says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So they were on display. They were showing off. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So this is like the least amount of currencies. It would be like pennies for us. I don't know about you, but when I see a penny on the ground, there's always that point like, eh, is it worth it? Right? You, we, depending on your vision, again, you may pick it up every time, you may not. But there's a part for me where I see a penny like, eh, silver, I reach. Penny, I may not. All right? 
But she dropped two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What a beautiful picture and a vision that Jesus is giving the people. Now, does that make sense? How did she put in more than all of them? Certainly the amount wasn't more. What Jesus was showing is, again, it's not the amount. She is showing her faith, even though it was little. It was all she had to live on. And they were giving in a lot, but not much compared to everything else they had. And Jesus is he's giving this picture. This widow has great faith. She's living in poverty. But is sacrificing far more than all the others. And that's the vision that Jesus wants for us today. He wants us to get a vision that as we live a generous life and decide that I will give what I have to God and for his purposes, I'm taking a step of faith. I'm deciding that that he will take care of me. And not only that, but he is a far better manager of my money and can multiply it far better than I can. That takes great faith. That's a very different vision. I want to give one last picture. And this is because if you're like me, money, right, it's, it's tied to our heart. We can kind of hold this thing really close to us. We may not want to admit it to people, but we just we can struggle with money, letting it go or wanting to get enough. And it can it can be something that really pulls at us. However, there's not really like information that we need, right? Even so, you get a picture of being a generous person. You get this idea, okay, yeah, I, I, I should be generous. And you may try to think through what that looks like in your own life. But what I found is in this area of finances and the picture we have, it actually is something that we don't need more information like a self-help. This is how to make the most out of your money. Now, that could help you. And learning how to budget is certainly a part of that. And we're going to be talking about finances later in the fall. Uh, to give some practical help. But really, in terms of the vision, we, we don't need information. We, we actually need transformation. We need to actually think differently, look differently at what our finances can do. And I want to explain and walk through this picture, which is this is a, a story that I learned when I was young, back in the day, in Sunday school. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, you've heard that name before. And if you haven't, you're thinking, that's the weirdest name I've ever heard. But Zacchaeus is a person that got to meet Jesus. And in that meeting, his vision for his life was changed. And I, I want to set up Zacchaeus a little bit. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector at the time. So in this time... This is kind of all the similar time of when Jesus was just talking about the widows in Luke 21. This is in Luke 19. And Jesus is going around the lands and he's speaking to people and sharing them the difference that 
God's kingdom makes. And he's, he's trying to recast the vision for what it means to be somebody who follows after God. And what his kingdom is like. But at the time, there's Jews that are collecting taxes from other Jews to give to the Romans. They're under the Roman Empire. So if you could imagine, you have people that are your own countrymen that are essentially taking taxes from you and giving it to the enemy. And so when you hear about tax collectors in the New Testament, these people were not like popular among the people. They were despised. Because basically they were selling their people out to gain status, to gain money. Now, to be a chief tax collector, did they have a vision for their life? Did they just kind of walk into that on accident? No, they wanted to be a tax collector because the status that they could get, the money that they could achieve was more important to them than being loyal to their own people. That was their vision. Their vision caused them to act. Okay. And so what Jesus does is he's interacting with the people and he's teaching them. And some people are wanting to be healed. Some people are asking him questions. And you can imagine by this time his popularity is growing. People are hearing about his miracles and they're hearing about the things that he's doing. And at the time, you've got these leaders, the tax collectors, and you've got the Roman Empire. They're all nervous because this person is casting a different vision than what we hope they have. We hope that they'll remain uh, under us as servants to us, fearful of us. And he's talking about hope. We don't want them to have hope. We want them to obey. And so there was just kind of this nervous energy. So this is all going around the time as Jesus is speaking. And I want to pick up this story. So he's entering this area called Jericho. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So not only was he a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector, which means he was the boss. So he oversaw all the other tax collectors. And as they would take their cuts and add kind of more fees so they could take more money, he would take money off of them. And so he would always get a cut. So he was, he was rich. His vision for his life was to gain as much money as possible. That'd be the only reason he would be in that position. Okay. Now, verse three, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, I learned a song when I was a kid about Zacchaeus. And we actually would call him a wee little man. In the song. And if we had time, I'd sing it, but we don't, so I won't. But Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was small in stature. The guy was short. And he heard Jesus coming, and he's thinking, I want to just get a glimpse of the guy. I mean, I'll be able to actually see him up close, but I want to get a glimpse. So if you've ever been to like a concert or an event where there's tons of people, and you're short, you're always like, nah, was this worth it? the price i'm looking at the back of a dude's head that's what zacchaeus is experiencing there's a spectacle i want to see jesus but i can't see anything but something happens that zacchaeus does so he could not because he was small in stature and then verse four so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way there's a picture this is like a depiction so you got the people and then you see zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. And there's a couple things that, that happens in this passage that's easy to miss. First thing is, he ran. In this time, men did not run. 
You just didn't. One, you had sandals on. Two, you had like the little tunic thing. You just didn't run. You didn't have your workout clothes on. It was dirty. And it was a sign of like dignity. Like, man, you know, you just walk, you're calm. Everything you got together. If you run, something's wrong. It shows something. And so Zacchaeus, he, he ran. Now, second thing. He climbed a tree. When was the last time you climbed a tree? You don't have to answer that. For me, I, I was a boy. But men don't climb trees. Women don't climb trees. Children climb trees. So Zacchaeus ran. And then he climbed a tree. So by those two statements, you find that there is something that is so intriguing to him that he's, he's, he's willing to break cultural taboos. He's willing to look stupid. He's willing to look undignified. Again, this is management. This is like white collar. He's important, but he's running and climbing up trees. Okay? Then it goes on. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This is one of the greatest pictures that you can see. Zacchaeus was the enemy. Zacchaeus had done all sorts of wrong in the name of money and status and success. And Jesus knew that. But upon seeing him, he invited him. Hurry, come down. Hurry, come down. And in that moment, you see that's, that's the relationship with Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter the things that you've stopped, saw, you know, stood for, the, no matter the vision that you've had, in that instant, Zacchaeus saw that his life could change. And it was willing to run for, and it was willing to climb a tree for. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now, I don't know exactly what that picture looked like, but if he was willing to run, and he was willing to climb a tree, and it says, and he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. You get the sense that this was like the most important moment of Zacchaeus' life. And I've probably hurried down a tree before, but that's dangerous. But you could get the thought. That he, he went up there and he sees him. Jesus says, why don't you, you come on down? I want to interact with you. He pointed him out. Come on down. And Zacchaeus just, in this just like, childlike faith just hurried down and received him joyfully and just decided like did he hug him i don't know did he give a kiss to him well in that those times sometimes it was like a brotherly kiss i don't know but you get the sense that there was some joy and just this feeling of just my life can change and what you find in the next verse is that's the truth in verse seven he says this and when they saw it they all grumbled okay these are all the people these are all the people that have Gotten their money taken. So as soon as Jesus is like, Zach, it sounds like the price is right. Zacchaeus, come on down. Like, ah, why didn't I get picked? Man, Zacchaeus, he steals from us. You can hear him like, Jesus, you know, he, you know, he's a chief tax collector. You know, he stole from us last week, Jesus. And so they're just grumbling and Jesus is hearing it. And then they say he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So now they're kind of, you know, they're mad at Jesus. Not only did you calm down, but you're going to go hang out with this person who's a sinner? Then verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In that moment that Jesus received him, gave attention to him, invited him, and received him joyfully, his vision was changed. He went from robbing to giving. Now, did Jesus say, now Zacchaeus, what should you do differently now with your money now that I'm eating with you in your house? He didn't say that. Zacchaeus responded the only way he knew how. I stood for this. I robbed people. You've received me. I can know you. I will repay it back. I'm going to give it back. And the things that I've defrauded anyone, I will restore it fourfold. I'm going to make things right. Not only that, but I'm going to try to bless people, the ones that, the very ones that I have belittled and defrauded. So his, his vision had changed. And then in verse 9, the whole picture becomes complete. And he says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So there's so much in this passage. Because the bottom line is, we're all Zacchaeus. We've all sinned, and we've done wrong, and we've messed up. But Jesus is saying, if you follow me, your vision will change. And over time, as you get to know me, your reflexes will change. Your actions will change. Your attitude will change change but you have to be willing to do things my way and Zacchaeus did he 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 took the faith step he ran he climbed he hurried down and he received him and then he acted he was willing to make things right and so I want to encourage you how does God want you to think differently about what you've been given your resources your money, your house, your car, your materials, whatever they are. And what, what's your attitude like in regards to them? And then where's your heart at? How much are you willing to give to God? And then how much are you just not really willing? You're just kind of holding back. We all have to, we have to ask that. We have an opportunity to really to think about that. And so I encourage you to do that. What you find is if we become like Zacchaeus, despite the things that we've done, if we decide that we'll allow God to instruct us and to change our vision, imagine the difference that that would make. Even in our church, if we were generous people, willing to share, willing to help, willing to act in faith like the widow, to give what we can, Based on the need. Could you imagine the difference that would make? That's the vision that God gives us. And so I encourage you just just to think about that. As I wrap up, you have a connection card. And the band's going to come up. And we're going to receive our offering. And there's some next steps on there that you can take today. And maybe you just want to memorize 2 Corinthians, those two verses that I read earlier. Maybe that's just some perspective that you need to think about. And so I, I encourage you to do that. 
That's the first next step you can take. So as you fill out your connection card, you finish filling that out, you'll see that on the back side. The, the second next step is, do you need to choose faith in, in your attitude towards giving and being generous or the amount that you give? Is there just an opportunity to, to take another step in, in being generous to the needs that you know? And there's a blank there. If, if there's just something that you sense you need to do, uh, you, you can write that in there. I wanted to thank really all the people that, that do give to Church in the Valley because I know we really experience the generosity of so many of you um, just out of your tithes and your offerings. And not only that, but your willingness to help people in need. That, those are all a byproduct of living a generous life. And so my prayer is that we'll continue to, to grow in that as God allows us to, to reach and help more people. So let's pray together. God, thank you for the story of Zacchaeus, which gives so much hope. And it really does give us a new vision for our life. The fact that as we choose to to pursue you, you really change us and you change us at the heart level. And so I, I pray that that will be really true for all of us today, that despite the vision that we have in this area of our life, in our finances, and in the things that we've been given. God, will you give us a vision of generosity? One that is willing to allow you to use the things that we've been given to to help others and to advance your kingdom. And so we ask that you really help us, God. And if there's certain attitudes that we need to correct in our thinking, will you show us, God, and give us the power to make those changes? In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, Alex. We're going to sing King of Heaven.